This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we're going to be talking about some blog posts by a pastor named Pastor Douglas James Wilson, or Doug Wills, as he's called by a lot of people. But this guy, he's a uh, conservative, reformed, evangelical pastor and theologian, and he is the lead pastor at Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho. Yes, there is actually a place called Moscow, Idaho, but I was just kind of doing my normal thing, listening to podcasts and, you know, just doing whatever. And then this guy did a, an episode where he was a guest on the Cross Politics show. So I think I've suggested the Cross Politics people before. I think it was whenever we were talking about the Revoice Conference and some different things like that. And so uh, this is a show that you guys should be watching. They've They've kind of in my opinion, kind of screwed up their channel on uh, on iTunes or whatever they have. So they're trying to come off as a network. And so they've got like four or five or six different shows all on the same podcast feed. And pretty much all of the other shows are not any good. And so, but their main show is the cross politics show. And there's three guys that are on the show normally. Uh, and they all work at the same church, I believe. At least one of them, I'm pretty sure, works at the same church. Uh, but this is the guy that's the kind of the head pastor. And then he was there. He was a guest on the show. And he was talking about this thing he did called No Quarter November. No Quarter November. And so at the time that he appeared on the show, he was right in the middle of it. But this is a, some, something that he apparently does. I don't know if he does this every year. Or this is something that he just started doing this year. But he was basically doing more intense and more honest blog post, I guess is the easiest way to describe it. I guess I'll try to back my, back my way into describing it. But for some of you, you don't really understand the term or the phrase no quarter. And so, or maybe you have, but you just forgot the context of where you know that from. But the term no quarter will go to the incredible bastion of intellectual thought. We'll go to Wikipedia, but uh, it says this, that in war, a victor gives no quarter or takes no prisoners when the victor shows no clemency or mercy and refuses to spare the life of a vanquished opponent in return for their surrender at discretion or unconditional surrender. So basically this is kind of a no holds barred, no, you know, taking no prisoners type of blog post. So it's a series of blog posts that I guess are outside of his normal tone and tenor. This guy kind of has a reputation for being not politically correct and kind of saying what he, you know, wants to say, but this is even more so that it's way more forward, way less politically correct. Um, and one thing that he said, <clears throat> because if you go to the website, there's a lot of different blog posts. And even in November, there's lots and lots of blog posts and not all of them are in this no quarter November category. Some of them are just his normal blog posts, but he's coming at it from a very different perspective. So when you first go to his website, uh, it has a lot of kind of a description as to why he was doing No Quarter November. So I wanted to read a little bit of that to, to you here so you can kind of get an idea of where he's coming from. So it is apparent that I believe that there really is a time for rhetorical qualifications. That time is not this coming November. Allow me to explain. During the course of this approaching month of November, my plan is to write a series of blog posts where I say what I think flat out and to do so without qualifying anything. The things I will write could be qualified and it would be no sin to do so. But my plan is to let you all know what is going on out there without any of that. But on the other hand stuff, there is another hand with five fingers on it and there are qualifications to be made, but you can rest assured that I know all about them, but am keeping them to myself. So this, this isn't exactly the tone that you would expect from an evangelical pastor, but I can just tell you, surprise, surprise, I like it. I think it's pretty dope, kind of what he's going into. But, you know, he did 
a lot of different blog posts. And so obviously I'm going to share these with you guys. I'm going to read one of them to you in long form, but I just want to kind of run down the list right now of some of the blog posts and kind of give you an idea of what he was talking about, because this is something I think you guys should read. Now I'll just tell you right up front. I don't think all the, pl- the blog posts were especially amazing. There were some that were just kind of like, meh, whatever, or I didn't really get the point he was trying to make. Maybe it was just a little bit too stream of consciousness, didn't really have a narrative flow to it. But I I think they all had definite qualities and things that we could take away and learn from them. So I'll go ahead and go through the list uh, in the order that they were presented in the month of November, and then I'll go into the one that I want to read for you today. So the first one is called Burn All the Schools. (laughs) So he's, okay, first of all, he's not asking for you guys to go out and actually burn buildings, so don't don't go and uh, misunderstand him that way. But he's basically encouraging Christians to get their kids out of the public school system. So uh, they've talked about on the Cross Politics Show quite a bit about how different areas will, you know, basically would have to listen to uh, funding mechanisms and to parents about what's going on in the public schools from a secular point of view. If a lot of people took their kids out of the public school system, it would really affect the budget. So that's what this blog post is about. The second one is smash the matriarchy. And so this is basically talking about fighting against the ideals of feminism, especially in the church. And so we hear a lot about the patriarchy now and, you know, how evil it is and how it should be crushed. And this is saying smash the matriarchy, which is really interesting. The next one is called horny Presbyterians and woke Baptists. So again, he's, he's, he's giving it to you straight up. He's trying to get your attention. And this blog post is kind of issues within the PCA, which is the Presbyterian church in America and uh, the Southern Baptist convention, the SBC. And just basically talking about how the, in the, in Presbyterians have had uh, big issues with people coming out that are very, very liberal on the sexual side, uh, and a lot of LGBT issues. And then, you know, Baptists are kind of going into the, the woke side, the black lives matter side of, of the race debate in a lot of ways. And so he kind of talks about that. The next one is called evolution as an uncommonly silly idea. So it's pretty much uh, as the title pretty much says it all. He's talking about evolution and how silly it is to believe in that. The next one is called PCA RIP, obviously again, talking about the Presbyterian church in America, but there's a lot of issues going on within the PCA right now. And so there's kind of a split happening, a schism happening. So he addresses that. The next one is those biologos unbelievers. This is a really interesting one. So if you haven't heard the term biologos before, which I hadn't before I read this blog, uh, I know the concept, but I didn't know it was called this. This is basically biologos is basically asking the church and everyone in it or even outside of it to see the harmony between science and biblical faith and uh, an evolutionary understanding of God's creation. So you'll see a lot of people embracing this, and it's one of those things that I don't really have a fully formed opinion on yet because it's not something that I've really thought about that much for the, for that many years. It's just been maybe in the last year or two, this has kind of come to my uh, attention, but he, he has a very, very negative opinion of the BioLogos movement, so he goes into that. The next one is called Against Justice, and so this is really going into the dangers of social justice and how the left is using justice and the difference between you know, what the left calls justice and actual biblical godly justice. The next one is called immodest winches. So it's basically talking about the immodest or, or kind of whorish dress of a lot of modern women, but also, especially in the church, you know, he kind of takes a few shots at some mega churches that are just, you know, the come one, come all, come as you are type churches. And they're not really giving any structure to the women in terms of how they dress and how that can help, 
you know, assist men in falling. Uh, the next one was, I almost wanted to read this one to you guys because I thought it was fantastic, but I only want to read one to you all today. It was called Sexual Imbecility for Imbeciles. And so it was basically talking about sexuality in the church uh, and LGBTQ, AARP, TTYL plus issues, you know, just all the issues going on right now with sexuality in the church. There's a lot of people that are basically trying to soften what the Bible has to say on homosexuality or on gender or on any of those things just so they can seem more woke or more relevant. And so he goes straight at those issues. The next one is modern art and the dearth of culture. So obviously it's about modern art and the subjectivity of what art is and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, that one is what it is. The next one was your suburban church needed a drum kit the way Johann Sebastian Bach needed a kazoo. And so this one's basically talking about worship. It's talking about these churches that have declining attendance and how they're trying to basically fix it by getting into the worship wars. So, you know, adding a a band and, and a drummer to, to all the things they're doing in worship and whether that's actually doing anything. So I thought that was pretty interesting. The next one is called In Praise of America, which is about exactly how it sounds. Amen. He's basically praising America for the things that we're really, really, really awesome at. Uh, he has one called November 33rd, which is not an actual blog post, but apparently there were two blogs that he couldn't fit into November And so he was going to post one on December 1st and one on December 3rd. But as of the recording of this podcast, uh, those, I hadn't had a chance to to go through those. So I posted that in there kind of as like a reminder to you, if you want to go through and actually read all these to go into the first, second and third day of December to, to see where he's posted those last two. And the last one he talked about was really, really interesting and, and very, very biting. It was called in hell where they already have it. And so this is about the evils of socialism. And so that quote, you know, in hell where they already have it, I think it was from Ronald Reagan. He talked about that at the very beginning, talking about socialism. He said there are only two places where socialism will work. One is in heaven where they don't need it, or the second is in hell where they already have it. So... Great Reagan quote. I mean, I don't give a crap if y'all don't like Reagan. Reagan is my dude. Like, I wish he was running the country right now. But it's just... Anyway, we'll, we'll, leave, we'll leave it there. I was going to go somewhere else, but, you know, this isn't about uh, the state of the Republican Party right now. So... These are really, really interesting articles. If nothing else, even if you disagree with this guy, which I can just about guarantee you, if you read through all of those in the list and the two additional ones that haven't been posted yet... It's probably going to make you mad at different points. There's probably going to be points where you're a little bit confused, where you don't understand his argumentation. You don't really understand the narrative that he's trying to spin. I'm sure all those things are going to happen for you. But we'll get into it a little bit more at the end after I read this next one. But I'm very, very excited that there's a pastor out there doing this. But the one that I wanted to read for you guys is one that's called Surpluses Are for Sissies. And so to be frank with you, I I had never seen the word surplus before. And so that's S-U-R-P-L-I-C-E, surplus. And so I had to Google what it was. And then obviously when I pulled it up on Google, I was like, oh, I know exactly what that is. But it's kind of like the the really fancy frock that they give to clergymen and young boys uh, in the Catholic church and things like that. It's just, it's got the frilly edges on the, on the sleeves and all these different things. Like I I guarantee you, if you Google surplus, you will immediately go to the images and go, Oh yeah, I know exactly what they're talking about. But he, again, this one's called surpluses are for sissies. And I just wanted to go ahead and read this in its entirety to you, because again, I'm going to encourage you to read through all of the ones that we talked about, all the ones that I basically ran you through, but this one will kind of give you a sense of the tone that he's taking. So he's going into all of these really, really controversial issues. He's not pulling punches. He's coming straight at you and he's giving you his opinion on these things. And so 
I just want to kind of go through it with you. And so it's going to take me a little bit, but just follow along. I'm going to be reading the article again called Surpluses Are for Sissies. Here's the introduction. So imagine for yourself the sweetest little boy in the church, one whose mind turns naturally to edifying themes, the kind of meditative theme inspired by reflections on a porcelain figurine of the infant Samuel at prayer. Suppose further that this boy has plump cheeks with kind of a rosy tint or glow, and those cheeks have been routinely pinched by all the pious church ladies, and they have been telling him for ever so many years that a face so cherubic should really be blessing the professors at some select seminary. This boy is also most careful about his appearance, and in the summertime he is not to be found with his cousins gigging frogs in the swamp. He has a bookish turn and a gentle frame. His glances turn naturally upward to things above. I hope it is obvious by this point in my description that the canoe of this young gentleman's masculinity is kind of wobbly in the river, rocking back and forth as it were. Now imagine that the climax of this small setup is that he is eventually ordained in a communion that fits him out first thing with a white surplus. Think of that white surplus as a couple of effeminate cinder blocks thrown into the already wobbly masculinity canoe. Such an event is going to sink that boy right to the bottom of the great pond of gay. And please, don't chafe. Metaphors that don't kill us can only leave us stronger. For those new to this mincing little deal, a surplus is a fetching little ecclesiastical number with lacy-like accents. For a number of centuries now, clergymen have been thought of as a third sex. There have been exceptions here and there, but the eras in which the most masculine, the most talented, the most aggressive men have been attracted to the ministry have been rare. It is far more common to have that happen with the most dutiful, the most fastidious, the most likely to have two halos in heaven. Here's the next section, getting some of the jokes out of the way. Jokes work for a reason, and one of those reasons is the collective wisdom of crowds. The people generally know what is going on, with the people defined as those who laugh. This is why jokes are often the object of various political correctness recriminations. They go right to the point, and they don't mess around. And they are impossible to answer. So why can't Episcopalians play chess anymore? They can't tell the difference between a bishop and a queen. So how do you get a nun pregnant? Simple. Dress her up as an altar boy. So an archbishop was walking down the aisle of the cathedral swinging a smoking thurible. As he passes a homosexual parishioner, the comment was, I love your outfit, darling, but your purse is on fire. All these jokes point to the plain and obvious connection between sexual deviance and a certain kind of signaling of that deviance. The problem of sexual signaling exists outside ecclesiastical circles, of course, and there are feminine things a guy can put on that have nothing whatever to do with an ostensible apostolic secession. But there has also been a long tradition of allowing effeminacy a place in the church, and not only a place in the church, but a place of honored leadership in the church. Love that line. So dress all the boys up in choir robes with ruffs for collars and teach them to sing beautifully with sweet, pure tones, and surround them with a bunch of men who have no lawful sexual outlet. What could possibly go wrong? The next section is called Some Deep Structure Here. In the religion he was founding, Jesus taught no one should be called father. And we see this in Matthew 23, verses 9 and 10. I'll read them now. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. He prohibited disfiguring your face when you fast. And we see this in Matthew 6, 16, and I'll read it here. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces as their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. He warned against the characters who liked flamboyance, pointing to their nature of their bling. That's in Matthew 23, 5. I'll read it here. 
They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries, <laughs> sorry, their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And their flowing robes, as we talk about in Luke 20, 46. Read it here. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around with long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the feast. He mocked their lengthy prayers, as we see in Matthew 6, 7, which I'll read here. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So there is a particular kind of showboating and parading around that Jesus despised. We together so far? So, it is worth pointing out that we ought not to be attracted to worship, however, historic, that embodies every last one of those things. Tall, decorated hats, elegantly styled flowing robes, embroidered stoles, ash on your forehead to let everyone know you are fasting in Lent, doing it all because the Father said it was okay. This is actually the way these things have to go. Showing off is always a sin, but it is not always an effeminate sin. But it very but it very hard to prevent a pious show-off from becoming effeminate. If there was some tough guy competition or a weightlifting competition, a guy could compete in it with all the wrong reasons and be up to his neck in sinful show-off emotives, and yet the sin would still not be an effeminate sin. But when a man is showing off his devotion to God or his excellence of character or his gentleness to the poor, the mental dashboard inside someone's head ought to be blinking, danger, danger, danger. Showing off is always diabolical. But showing off your piety is diabolical and gay. So religious hypocrisy necessarily veers into effeminacy. There is a reason why sexual deviants are attracted to the church. And he broke down the house of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the Asherah. That's in 2 Kings 23 verse 7. Of course, the devil wants to corrupt the church and make a special target of it. And that is one of the reasons these bad things happen in the church. But it also happens because when devotion to God becomes a matter of display, the whole thing is a perfect seedbed of effeminacy. If you show off your biceps, you are just being a bore. If you show off your rotund vows as you approach the throne of grace, something far worse is about to go down. In the Luke passage cited above, Jesus doesn't castigate people for wearing robes. Again, Luke 20, 46. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. Jesus wore a robe. Everybody wore a robe. Find me someone who wasn't wearing a robe, but still he tagged it. So there were two other things going on there, desire and showiness. I'm going to read Luke 20, 46 again. Beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the markets and the highest seats in the synagogues and the chief rooms at feasts. So when it comes to things ecclesiastical, we have to be aware of standing of a standing temptation ever present to a certain kind of churchman, which is the temptation to look fabulous. Next session is called looking like the bride. One of the names for a prophet in scripture is man of God. And he's going to talk about first Kings 20, 28. And there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is the God of the hills, but he is not the God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. And this prophetic mantle is taken up in the New Testament by the minister of the word. And we're going to see this in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. 
And not to belabor the obvious, but one of the foundational duties of every man of God is to be a man. You can't be a man of God unless you are a man first. In a well-structured worship service, the people of God are meeting with their God. There is communion between them, and this communion consists of conversation. God speaks, and then we speak, and then God speaks again. We speak in the confession of sin. God speaks in the assurance of pardon. We speak in the psalm of praise. God speaks in the scripture reading. Our congregation meets every week with God for an hour and a half, and we talk about things with Him. We say something, and then we say something, and He says something, and then we say something in response. Now, obviously, the Lord Jesus is not physically present with us, but He is present in the person of His Spirit, and He is also present in the office of His representative, the man of God. When a man prays during the congressional prayer, presenting our petition to God, he is representing the congregation to God. But when I declare the assurance of pardon to the people after we have confessed our sins, I am representing God to them. When I read the text to be preached, I am representing God to them. When I give the final benediction, I am representing God to them. Now, when a man of God is down in the front of the church discharging his office, it is crucial that he be a masculine presence there. He is supposed to be representing the groom. He has no business being down in the front of the church looking sweet and virginal like the bride. And we're going to read Matthew eleven eight here. But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Soft raiment is always going to be the thing for somebody. But out of all the places you might be able to find it, church should be the last place you would look. And guys, uh, that's the end of this blog. And that kind of gives you the tone here. Again, he's coming straight for you in a lot of these different areas. And at the end of this, I, I believe if you had read it on the day that it was released, you actually got a free copy of his book. What well, in the book is Future Men. And so if that sounds familiar, it's on our book list. So if you go to www.undaunted.life backslash book list, you will see that on the book list there talking about basically how to raise boys and how to make boys into men. And so the thing that's really important here is this is just basically a small time pastor, right? Yeah. He's got some books and he's got some things that are spread out here and there, but he's not, you know, one of those names that you hear and everyone's just like, Oh yeah, I know. I know Andy Stanley or I know Tim Keller or some, or I know, you know, one of those pastors, you don't really think of him in that way, but he has some incredible things to say, but there's a lot of reasons why I love the idea of no quarter November. Okay. Um, and I was just thinking through this because again, not all of the blog posts are great. Uh, a lot of them are, but it's just like, why is this so, so important? And why did this strike me as odd that it was a pastor doing it? And so l- let me kind of back into some of those opinions. But one of the biggest reasons why I love the idea of no quarter November is because most people don't have well thought out positions. And, and if you don't think this is true, talk about something real with your group of friends next time. So don't talk about the college football playoff. Don't talk about fantasy football. Don't talk about, you know, the hot girl in the office. Don't, don't, don't talk about any of that nonsense, right? And hopefully I aren't talking about some of that anyway. But bring up a real subject. You know, talk about abortion. Talk about immigration law. Talk about jurisprudence of Roe v. Wade. Like whatever thing you want to bring up. But most guys don't have a well-thought-out position on just about anything. They, they can be swayed one way or the other, and it doesn't really take a whole lot. Or the positions that they have that are like, you know, they're putting their flag in the ground on this position. It's on something useless, like the teams they want to be in the college football playoff. 
or or the teams that they think should uh, or who their guys should go get at the winter meetings in Major League Baseball, like the guy that their team should sign. Like they're so definite in these types of things, or you know this gun over that gun and this car over this car. Like they're so you know definitive on these things that don't really matter, that don't really move the needle for anybody. They're just hobby based type things. But it's just weird to me that most people haven't thought, well, I guess it's not that weird to me now that I think about it, that a lot of guys don't have well-thought-out positions on these things because they're not being required to. I mean, again, I think we as men suffer from crippling low expectations, and this has been passed on to our boys, right? Because when you expect less of a man or less of a teenage boy, a young man, or a little boy himself, then they're probably going to live up to those, at least some of them. They're going to live up to those low expectations. You haven't been challenged to think of these different things. I mean, every single subject matter of this guy's blogs is controversial. Whether you take one side of the issue or the other, or even if you take the middle road, it's controversial. But it requires you to think through and have a well-thought-out position. Now, that doesn't mean that your position is solidified for forever. Like, that would be absurd. I, I mean, that's the one thing that I really don't like, that when people critique politicians because they've flipped-flop on, on an issue, because because here's the thing is I believe it is completely possible for you to progress on an issue. Now, if, if you're the type of politician that, you know, basically if the political winds are blowing one way, you think one thing. And if the political winds are blowing another, you think another thing, then then, yes, you're being a flip flopper. And you're basically just trying to say whatever it is that you need to say in order to get votes to get into office or stay in office. Right. But I don't really mind it when when somebody's like, yeah, 20 years ago, I thought this and that was a really stupid idea. I can't believe I thought this way. I'm really, really glad I've I've gotten more evidence and heard more arguments. I've changed my opinion on this issue. That doesn't bother me. Now, if you change it like last week and the election's coming up and you were just getting pounded in the polls, eh, it's a little bit weird. But again, I like the idea of no quarter November because you can't write blogs like this and not have well thought out positions. So another reason why I love the idea of no quarter November, what this guy did is that most men are pansies, right? And they don't step up and say what needs to be said, right? So obviously there were some very, very politically incorrect things that I read when I was reading through this one single block, right? How many times, if I had read that, like at a college campus, I would have got shouted down, maybe chased off campus, right? I mean, there were a lot of things that were said there. It was like, oh no, like you just can't go there. What, what's the deal? But most men don't step up and say things like that, even if they believe them. Uh, something that's been around me recently is I'm like surrounded by these yes men or, or these men that are just basically have their women running their lives for them, right? Th- their wives basically telling them what to do and what they can say and what they can't do. And to be honest with you, like I'm about fed up with it. Like most men are not standing up. There's a great example right now. I'm obviously not going to use names, but there, there's a there's a group right now where there is a wife that is basically encouraging a, a friend of hers to date other men while she's still married, right? So, so here's the scenario. You got these two married couples, the wives are friends, and the one wife is saying to the other one, yeah, you should marry other guys. Your, your marriage is kind of on the rocks right now. You should just marry other guys. Or sorry, not marry, but like date other guys. You should go on dates with other guys, right? And and that's the thing is the other husband, the husband of the woman who's encouraging this behavior, apparently wants to step up and say, hey, that's really inappropriate because it freaking is, right? It's horrible, but he's not saying anything because he's a pussy. Like he doesn't want his wife to be mad at him, right? Like, oh, you know, she's going to get mad at me and then maybe we, we won't get to have sex this month and, and maybe, we, I, don't, I don't really know. I, I don't really want my wife to be angry. It's like, are you serious? 
Am I the only one seeing that your wife is actively trying to help someone break a covenant, break the covenant of marriage? Really? So I feel like I'm around this. And so when you have something like this, like what this pastor is doing, he's stepping up and saying what what needs to be said in a lot of these situations, because here's the thing is again, since he's a pastor, he's kind of insulated because most people don't take him seriously anyway, because he believes in God, right? So if you're a secularist or, uh, you know, one of those types of people, you have that kind of worldview, atheist, agnostic, you're dismissing his opinions anyway, but he's still going to say them because a lot of pastors won't. And that's going to really lead me into my last point is that more pastors need to be doing stuff like this. So that's why I love that No Quarter November is out there. I mean, this isn't some sort of thing that has, you know, gone viral or taken over by any stretch of the imagination, but more pastors need to be doing stuff like this. We need our pastors going into the untouchable areas of society, the things that you can't really talk about, the things that you can't look at scripture and exegetically explain what it's saying. And there, there's a there's a story that uh, about this that kind of helps me elucidate this point a little bit further. But like I told y'all, and like a lot of you know, I attended Life Church for over ten years, and so uh, that is the the church that helped uh, that founded the YouVersion Bible app. I think it was the first church to do multi-site, you know, the first church to do church online. So an incredibly innovative church, one of the best evangelical churches, uh, one of the best gospel spreading churches on the planet Earth. So there, I've given them all the compliments. And Craig Rochelle uh, is is a, a phenomenally talented man, uh, has, uh, puts out a lot of books, sells a lot of books and is, is a great speaker. But the thing in attending this church for over 10 years that I noticed is that Craig really wouldn't push the boundaries because a lot of people think, oh, he's, you know, he's edgy and he's kind of new wave and, you know, he's, he's really pushing, but he really wasn't. He, he was just kind of saying the same things year after year after year. There was, you know, you had the money series and then you had the marriage series and then you had the men suck series and then you had the, you know, this random self-helpy series. And you just had that every year. But there were so many things that were going on societally that he wouldn't touch. You know, he wouldn't talk about gay marriage and he wouldn't talk about same-sex attraction. He wouldn't talk about fundamentalist Islam. He wouldn't talk about transgender, transgenderism. He wouldn't talk about any of these things. And so me as, as a member of the church, I'm like, man, I, I really want to be biblical in my understanding of what the Bible says. And I want my pastor to kind of direct me on, on how to operate in these types of situations. And to be honest with you, I met with uh, some of his staff members, not to talk about this specifically by any means, but I did mention it. I was like, Hey, do you know why pastor Craig doesn't talk more about like real issues? I mean, it's not that the, the Bible stories he's teaching us are wrong by, by any stretch of the imagination. Like th- there was value that you could glean from those sermons, but it's like, there are so many things happening in society right now. And this is such a big church and we need an opinion leader. That's not a moron or that that's not a politician or not some dope on Twitter, right? I want my pastor to kind of tell me how to traverse these situations. Why doesn't pastor Craig talk about it? And the response was a response that was a knowing response. This wasn't somebody guessing. She said that there was an active attempt by him to not unnecessarily go into potentially offensive subject matters, right? He didn't feel that it was necessary to talk about some of the things like the subjects that I mentioned earlier from the pulpit, because it would not lead to potentially not lead to further conversations or the ability to maybe reconcile some of these issues or sins with these people. And let's just say I was not thoroughly impressed with that answer. Like not at all. But here's the thing is all pastors need to be on notice. All of them. Because your flocks are confused. 
Do y'all remember the episode I did about the state of theology just a few episodes back? Do you remember some of the things that people inside the church, evangelicals, believe? How do you think that happened? Do you think it's because of a bunch of dutiful pastors that were just basically teaching the gospel and teaching all the stories therein? Or do you think maybe it's because, all right, I want to do a pass or uh, I want to do a series on uh, self-esteem, right? And then they basically set out four pieces of paper and they start taking notes and then they start basically trying to bring scriptures from here or there to put it into this message series about self-esteem because we need people to be thinking highly of themselves while they're walking through the church, right? You know, we can talk about the gospel later, but really we need to talk about self-esteem, right? Is it, is it potentially that there's a lot of that stuff going on? A lot of this soft subject matter, subject matter that really doesn't have anything to do with the gospel or anything that points us towards the gospel. I mean, we, we got here because of a particular reason. There's a reason why the the state of theology is so poor in so many important areas. And so the thing that I'm really, really happy about that Doug Wilson did is that he was going to go into all these different subject matters. Again, I don't agree with everything that he said. And, I, and there's certain times where I was like, ah, you probably could have said it a little better than that. But at least he's saying it, man. At least he's talking about it. I, I feel like so many of these megachurch pastors or these celebrity pastors, they're just unwilling to go into these areas because they're afraid that they're going to lose part of their flock, right? Because it's really, really unpopular to talk about divorce in the church, right? Because the divorce rates are the same in the church as they are outside the church, amazingly, right? And so it'd be really, really offensive if a pastor got up there and said, uh, yeah, if you uh, divorced your spouse and it wasn't basically, they didn't die or basically it wasn't because the covenant of the marriage was broken. If you both just got together and decided that you didn't want to be married anymore, that uh, you're, li- you're living in adultery. So that if you marry anybody else, re- regardless of if they had ever been married before, they're also now living in adultery. Ugh. Yeah, you don't want to talk about that. That's not a popular opinion, but it's biblical. It's scripturally true, but it's going to piss off part of the flock. So we don't need to talk about it. So man, this, this is the call to any, any pastors listening to this. I know there's a lot of guys in seminary right now that will eventually become pastors. Please do not come become one of these pansy pastors. Like (laughs) that doesn't mean you need to be hellfire and brimstone all the time and always bringing the truth and like pushing people down and doing all that crazy stuff. But gosh, you've got to stand up at some point, right? It's okay to be a pastor and have balls. It's completely okay. Not everything has to be about mercy. Like, you've got to have truth. You've got to have truth with so many of these individuals, and it's just not being spoken. We can't expect our politicians to do it for us anymore, right? I feel like a lot, in a lot of ways, the church has been lazy in the United States because we've, Christendom has been at the top of the heap for so long, but we do live in a post-Christian culture now. So who's going to be the one stepping up and talking, talking about truth? I mean, just the other night, I had I had a really, really good experience with a buddy of mine. Uh, he is somewhere, he's probably an atheist, right? I was going to say he was agnostic, but let, let's just call him an atheist. This guy and I disagree on basically everything. <laughs> like, politically, we disagree on every single issue. Um, but he and I get along really, really well because we have a similar love for heavy metal music, right? Now, we differ on which uh, bands we like, and we differ pretty starkly on some several different bands. But there's a few key bands, including August Burns Red, that, you know, is the favorite of, of Undaunted Life. But, you know, we can kind of connect on those issues. He and I grabbed a drink earlier this week, and we talked for about three and a half hours. And we talked about immigration. 
We talked about global warming. We talked about abortion. We talked about God. We talked about the deity of Jesus. We talked about movies and music. I mean, we talked about everything. And guys, I'm telling you, we disagreed on everything. But it was literally one of the most fun nights that I had because the, there was this overarching feeling that we knew that we were going to be able to shake hands and give each other a bro hug and go on with our days, right? And we'd pick up right where we left off the next time we hang out. I mean, it was, but, but you wouldn't think like, oh my gosh, like I said some really offensive things to him, right? Things that really offended his sensibilities where he just looked at me like, are you crazy? One of those things being that if a woman was raped, I don't think she should be able to get an abortion and kill her baby. Like he looked at me like I was literally insane. Again, and if you say that in a public context, people are going to look at you like you're insane. Because in my opinion, just because you were wronged and you were sinned against and you were brutally uh, you know, taken advantage of in a sexual manner, that does not mean you get to kill someone else, right? And I'm not going to redo my abortion podcast. Go back and listen to it if you want to hear it. But it was just one of those things where he and I both said things that was going to be potentially offensive to one another, but we were both sharpening our own swords. We were, we were getting better. We were, we were learning the other side's uh, position and what they think and how they think. And it was really, really important to go through something like that. And I feel like pastors are not taking those same risks. They're not saying the thing that might get them the strongly worded email or might even get someone to come up to him, you know, who's piping mad right after the sermon. I kind of feel like if you're a pastor and you're only getting positive feedback, you might need to rethink the way that you're talking. You might need to rethink the subject matter that you're going into, right? And so again, I know I'm kind of belaboring the point at this point, but I can't encourage you guys enough to be a little bit more bold. For, for some of you, a lot more bold. When there's something that needs to be said and you know you're standing up for truth, be the one that stands up. Don't wait for your friend to do it. Don't wait for your dad to do it. Don't wait for your pastor to do it. Don't wait for your coach to do it, your boss to do it. You do it. Stand up. Have something to say. Have something to live for. Have something to defend. It's really important. All right, guys, before we get out of here, we're going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now, we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. And specifically, we do that providing by providing content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So today we're going to talk about the mental toughness side. Obviously, I'm going to give you the uh, the the links to all the stuff that we talked about. So I'm going to give you a link to Pastor Doug Wilson's website so you can look at his blogs that he posted, but also some of his other blogs and other things that he does in his books. And I'm also going to share with you the cross-politic appearance. So I have the YouTube video of his appearance on the cross-politic show. So you can kind of get a sense of, of where he's coming from and the things that he said. And then basically I'm going to be including the links to everything that we talked about earlier. So just to run down the list again, I'm going to give you the links to these blogs. Surpluses are for sissies, burn all the schools, smash the matriarchy, horny Presbyterians and woke Baptists, evolution as an uncommonly silly idea, PCA, RIP, those biologos unbelievers, against justice, immodest winches, Sexual imbecility for imbeciles, modern art and the dearth of culture, your suburban church needs a drum kit the way Johann Sebastian Bach needed a kazoo, in praise of America, November 33rd, in hell where they already have it, and okay, that was the last one, sorry, that was kind of a weird uh, weird way to end that, but yeah, those are the, uh, those are the links that I wanted to provide to you guys. I cannot encourage you more to read those, share those around, and get some conversations going around on that subject. All right, guys? 
Thanks as always for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate it. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. If you use the hashtag Undaunted Life, we'll be sure to find the post and give it a thumbs up. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, that is how this podcast will continue to grow and how it'll be more searchable for people. So leave us a five-star review. Leave us two or three sentences to let us know what you think about the content. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the entirety of 2019. So if you want me to come speak to your church group, your men's event, your team, whatever, hit me up at email, the email being info at undaunted.life, info at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is their song King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links to all of this are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>